0: Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright.
1: Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose part of your day to spend with me here, and this is going to be an amazing show. I'll introduce my guest shortly. I promise we're going to have a lot of fun. As usual, I want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I do this every week. So as we go through life, it can be very easy to question why certain situations happen to us. And even more specifically, we may ask ourselves, why me? While I don't claim to have all the answers, I think a quote by Zig Ziglar seems to address this perfectly. And it's simply this. Sometimes adversity is what you need to face in order to be successful. Now, if you think about it, nothing seems to grow without some resistance applied to it first. Very often, it's the adversity in our lives that causes us to stretch out of our comfort zones and forces forces us to look for new ways of coping. If you're facing financial issues, it's a perfect opportunity to ask how to either cut debt or make more money. If you're facing relationships issues, it may be a great opportunity to discover why you respond the way you do or why the other person responds the way they do. No matter what the adversity is, the level of thinking that got us there will not be the level of thinking that will solve the problem. So just remember this, sometimes adversity is what you need to face in order to be successful. And if you've not picked up my latest book, it's called The Greatest Lessons I Learned from Being an Entrepreneur, Volume 3. It's the third and final installment in the series. It is on Amazon. I would be honored if you would pick it up and even leave a review on Amazon. That would be terrific. And with that in mind, my guest this week is Douglas Vermeer. And let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a returning guest, and he's an actor, a stunt performer, a producer, and director. His interest In the film business began at a young age, being inspired by blockbuster films like Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Back to the Future. He first got on the set at a young age in Canada, participating in a CBC show playing a newspaper boy. He continued to get involved in film anytime he had the chance, even skipping school to spend time on movie sets. He attended college and soon found himself on academic probation until shifting gears to acting, screenwriting, and film arts. Now in the right place He began an honor student and he was even awarded a scholarship. He began his efforts in stunts at 13 years old with his first stunt riding on the roof of a speeding car. Since that time, he's done a lot of training in martial arts, motorcycles and race cars, horseback riding and stunt falls, fire and gunplay. He's also the producer and director of four of the top personal development documentaries of all time. And if there are more than that, I'm sure Doug will tell me shortly. So here we are. We've got a lot to unwrap and unravel. So here's my very special guest, Douglas Vermeer. And Doug, how are you today? Hey,
2: Brian. Boy, you guys sure make me sound a lot more dangerous than I really am. Huh? You, you are dangerous. <laughs> That's funny. As Austin
1: it. Power, As Austin Powers likes to say, I also like to live dangerously.
2: Oh, of course. Of course.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So you've been on the show before. We've talked about different stuff. We've talked about personal development. We've talked about uh, your... your producing career of of the personal development types of movies. We've talked about building passive income. And if you want to hear any of those episodes, just go to Success Profiles Radio on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and just search for Douglas Vermeer and you'll find, I believe this will be the third instance of that. Just listen to all the shows that we've done together. It'll be fantastic and it'll be a masterclass in everything you can think of. So let's start. Did you envision early in life that you'd be where you are now?
2: A hundred percent no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tell us about that.
2: Wow. You you know, I think it's interesting, like as as a young man, well, I guess anyone, we often have ideas of where we think we want to go and and what success looks like. But I think sometimes it isn't until we sort of get involved and get our feet wet that we really understand what that's like. Like, I mean, we could use this as an analogy of a swimming pool. When we see other people swimming, we're like, yeah, I can do that. And that's going to be, you know, really fun and everything else. But as soon as we get in the water, we kind of find what our real groove is, like what it is that we really enjoy. And um, yeah, I didn't expect this at all. And in fact, it's funny, you talked about the first time I was on a movie set. To to be honest with you, uh, I didn't really understand what that was when I got there the first time. When they put me on the movie set, the thing that really appealed to me is that they had a craft services table with free donuts, Mm. and I made 50 bucks that day. So I was just excited to be there. And I really didn't know I was making a show. I didn't know that this was something that, you know, people would see on television or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think in my in my life, my perspective has changed like that i I often haven't really always realized the gravity or consequence of some of the things that I've been blessed to participate in sometimes until they they'd already happened, right until mm-hmm. it's out so um, and I'm still getting surprised today, so maybe that that's the best way to answer your question. i'm just I'm so excited for everything that's coming
1: absolutely. and as we all know, success is not a straight line. We go up and we go down. It's like a roller coaster. So I do want to ask, what do you believe has been your rock bottom moment and how did you get out of it?
2: Well, that's a great question. Um, You know, I think I've had several rock bottom moments. Just thinking of like more recently, like everyone else, I experienced the COVID pandemic. And of course, I was out of work like everybody else was. Nobody yeah. was making movies uh, also for the events. no one was doing the events and so I think it really was an opportunity to reinvent myself. That's how I got out of it and I think to find out what really fulfilled me what you know what was at the core of my essence of who I wanted to be and who I was that really kind of got me ignited back into it but i I mean I've had other difficulties too I mean um you know I guess just thinking of uh, of, of a big one that kind of knocked the wind out of my sails is. A handful of years ago I went through a divorce and mm-hmm. that was a really tough thing because uh, you know, I was I thought best friends with this person and mm-hmm. I think we still probably were best friends. It's just the way that things were together, we just we just couldn't make things work. And so that took a, a lot of time to sort of rebuild that confidence, if you will. Yeah. So but yeah. but I think we all have moments like that, right? Like right. we all have times, whether they're big or small. And you know what's funny is as I mentioned these. There might even be some of your listeners who are saying, yeah, I've been through that, and I can understand it, and it was terrible, and they get it. And Mm -hmm. there's others who've never been there, and they're like, yeah, not a big deal. I don't really understand why that would be so hard for some people. Mm Because the truth of the matter is, is our challenges appear in different ways, and something that one person might find relatively easy to overcome, the other person's going to be devastated by it. Mm -hmm. But I I think the biggest thing is is just to – always understand that whatever you're faced with like I love your intro uh, talking about this idea that a problem's never solved at the same level of thinking that's used to create it Um, because the reality is is the other problem that most of us forget is that we have to solve the problems we're facing so a lot of the challenges that I've ever dealt with um, I've gotten people involved to help me and if you think about it like anyone who's either uh, like I've got a friend that just uh, not too long ago a couple years ago won an Olympic medal And it's interesting that he says he didn't win it by himself. And as he talks about it, he's right, because he had trainers and nutritionists and teammates and other coaches and a family that supported him and everybody. And so if you're having trouble with the problems that you've got, maybe it's also because you're just trying to handle it by yourself. Yeah. Or of others.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about how your film career started. We already talked about how you went on sets as a kid. That first set you talked about wasn't the only one, right?
2: Oh no, not at all. In fact, it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of people know me as a personal development person, as a speaker. But the reality is is I started films long before I ever got involved in personal development. And the funny thing is, is um, that's kind of what led me to do the personal development documentaries. I started getting invited to do a little bit of speaking, but my background was in film. And when Mm -hmm. shows like The Secret came out and What the Bleep Do We Know and that, um, Mm -hmm. my gift has always been with filmmaking. And so that's sort of what led me to doing that, to Mm -hmm. sort of the two but yeah i was doing films goodness sakes uh all throughout middle school and high school uh not only once for myself but also on regular movie sets and then you know some big movies long before i was even doing personal development stuff in fact um one of my favorite summers, I did open range with Kevin Costner, Robert Duvall, and Annette Benning. And I went straight from there onto a set to do Monty Walsh with Tom Selleck and William DeVane. And then I went straight from there to do another movie for Hallmark called Dream Keeper with Scott Grimes and Nathaniel Arcand. So, but that was all just barely before I started doing personal development way back in, yeah. I think, it was 2003. That was wow. one of my busiest summers. And so... Wow. Uh, yeah, it's just always been part of my life. But I mean, if you think about it, everybody who's kind of involved in personal development as a speaker, to some extent, has the ability to stand in front of a group or an audience and storytell. Mm-hmm. That, that's really the if you if you break it all down, really the essence of um, of kind of what I do as mm-hmm. an actor, we're storytellers, right?
1: Right, right. So what great lessons did you learn doing film early on that has served you later?
2: Wow. There's so many, I think probably one of the biggest things, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but the best actors also understand how to listen because, Mm. you know, I mean, you're dealing with a script, but how do you listen in such a way that you can make that those lines that you have to share into a real person or real character. And that's to understand what is it that was said that makes, makes this person, this character want to deliver the line. And then when you're in, in, in the essence of this acting, Um, what is going on so that you can make it real. So even if you've heard this script before, you've got to be a very attentive listener. So Mm -hmm. I'd I'd say that's probably the biggest thing. And then, of course, with anything, you've got to enjoy it and have fun because that always shows in our work.
1: Absolutely. What do you think is the highest level skill that anyone can learn?
2: Wow. Um, Quite frankly, I think it's networking. I, Mm -hmm. I know that may sound like a surprise, but again, in every business, it's all about who you know, but not just who you know, it's who you have relationships with. Right. Like everybody may have a thick Rolodex, but unless you've got real, real connections, uh, it won't really make a difference. So you've got to learn how to build and nurture those relationships. That's the number one skill. Everything comes from that.
1: Absolutely. We are coming up against our very first break. I can't believe how quickly this is going already. We are with Douglas Vermeer and we are going to talk today about his career in film that includes acting and includes producing and includes directing we're going to talk about the different skill sets that are involved in all those we'll talk about what it's like to be in all three of those roles and of course he also has a background as a stuntman we're going to talk about that too in fact i'm looking forward to hearing what is the most difficult stunt or most dangerous stunt he has ever done and i'm teasing that for you in advance doug See, so you can think about your answer <laughs> we're going to come right back after the break this is success profiles radio
0: is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. It's, never
2: heard.
3: it's been confirmed. Women eat less when in the company of men. A new study found that when women went to a restaurant with other women, for example, they ordered an average of 833 calories. But on the other hand, when they ate with men, they ordered only 721 calories. Maybe ladies are concerned with walks. That's leftover food around the mouth. Perhaps the more surprising find was when men ate with other men. They ate an average of 952 calories. But when they sat with women, males ate even more and consumed 1,162 calories on average. And that doesn't even count Groking. A broker is a person who stares at your food until you finally give it to them. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
1: Have you ever thought about writing a book? And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Douglas Vermeeren, and we're talking about film. We're talking about acting, producing, directing, doing stunts, and all the things. And if you've not downloaded and subscribed to Success Profiles Radio on iTunes Apple Podcasts, please do that. Leave a review. That would mean a lot. In fact, if you have Siri, Alexa, a Google device, even Spotify, you can play the last episode just by simply asking for it. So go ahead and do that after this show is over. I would be very appreciative of that. And subscribe, too. That'd be great. So, Doug, let me ask you, and this is one of my favorite questions I'm asking lately, what do you think is the most expensive mistake you have ever made? It can be financial. It doesn't have to be. It could be something you held on for too long, or it could be something that you didn't give up soon enough.
2: Wow. I mean, I I can think of a few. Um, I know certainly there was a financial one when I made the movie The Opus uh, way back. that a lot of your listeners may know. Um, I just didn't know what I didn't know. Is that a mistake? I don't know, right? Like, can we really hold ourselves accountable if we didn't know? But needless to say, so I I hired somebody who gave me some bad advice. And in the end, to fix that mistake, to make that movie finish, like complete and quality we wanted, it cost me $50,000 to fix that. Um, So I guess... If I'm looking back, what is it that I really gained from that? It's just to understand the questions, what to ask. And the reality is that sometimes when we hit an expensive mistake, yeah, it feels super painful in the moment. But the reality is, is I'll never make that mistake again. So right. I'm I'm basically buying an education. And quite frankly, knowing what I did wrong in that moment and how that mistake kind of originated and, and grew has allowed me to save a lot more than 50000 So it was probably a pretty good investment, right? Absolutely. uh, It it hurt and was painful at the time, but I'm thankful for it. Absolutely. In life, we need to look at all of our mistakes like that, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. I know. I totally agree. So let's pivot. You've worked as a producer and as an actor, and we will talk about both. What do you think are some of the key skill sets that have helped you succeed in both of those roles?
2: Well, I, I think, first of all, both of them really just require understanding the job is first right like you need to know what your lane is what your position is and what you're expected to do and and so forth and having a a view of kind of like as a producer of of the whole way films are made like the aspect the pre-production the production the post-production and even understand things like marketing and your audience behavior and what they're looking for is very very helpful because you've got to cover all that landscape so it's a big job and um to be honest with you one of the things that i've kind of tried to avoid is if I've got other responsibilities on a movie now, I generally don't want to step into the role of producer as well. It's just yeah. too much, right? So right. I, th- I think in my younger days, I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, I can do it. Put me in coach. But now yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'd rather just pick one job and, and do it really, really well. Yeah. Um, as an actor, I think one of the biggest things that has been uh, important for me to learn is how important it is to really get the advice of good directors and learn from really much more experienced people. Because what is it that Les Brown says? He says, when you're in the frame, you can't see the picture. And I think that that's something as well that I've experienced as an actor, that you think you're doing a great job, but you're not really seeing what's being captured on film while you're in front of the camera. You just can't see what that product looks like. So to just really develop a strong trust in others who know. Mm -hmm. and, And to really... Like have a thick skin. So if someone's pointing out something that you think is great, but it's not working, understand that you could be wrong. Like mm-hmm. my perspective might be incorrect and and I need to be willing to listen to the feedback of others so that I can make those adjustments. And I absolutely. might add, of course, yeah. since we're dealing with success here, I think that's with anything. Yeah. Real successful people are always teachable.
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. That is absolutely true. So who are some of your movie heroes?
2: Oh my gosh, how much time have we got for this show? (laughs) I've got some really big people that I admire, and I've got some that I've worked with that I admire, and also many that people here would not have heard of that I also admire. But um, I don't know, I mean, a couple of my favorites in the moment, okay? So for today, if we're talking today, I just finished reading Michael Caine's book on acting And I think he is phenomenal. Uh, I had a chance to connect with Michael, and he sent me a really kind letter. So there's a personal connection there. And I really do think he is incredible. And his advice is seriously just second to none. Um, You know, uh, I had a chance to meet and work with Kevin Costner on Open Range. I was about four months on that movie. And just watching how he is and interacts with people on, uh, uh, how should we say, uh, a professional level but a personal level. Uh, Just blew me away. So not even from an acting point of view. I admire him as an actor, but even as a person, I just really admire how he is. So there's so many that I admire and so many people that I just really look up to. Like Mm -hmm. I said, we could go on for a long time. And there's a bunch that I I have never worked with, but I would love to. Yeah. Obviously, every actor at the top of their list is probably guys like Steven Spielberg or Mm -hmm. James Cameron or Martin Scorsese. I mean, I've got a list we could go on for years. Quentin Tarantino, of course. Man,
1: Mm -hmm. we could go on. (laughs) Do you find in general that these people are approachable?
2: Um, I think when like, here's the deal is um, those who kind of know my history know I went out and I interviewed 400 of the world's top achievers and business leaders. Yes, I kind of learned some secrets at that stage in the game of how to do that. And it was to see if I could get an introduction from a mutual friend. That was the A number one way to do it. Mm So some of those people I've had a chance to connect and meet and work with, whether they're on movie sets or even meeting them at events. Like I'm heading down to L.A. again for the Academy Awards this season. And um, I'm looking forward to who I might get a chance to meet. But sometimes the way movies work and the entertainment business works is um, sometimes the gatekeepers are a little tougher. Sometimes the events are moving so fast, and people are whisked in and whisked out, and they've got places to be, and everyone's got a tight schedule. So it's not always necessarily easy to be able to just say, "Hey, I'd, I'd love to meet so and so and have it, you know, happen." Yeah. So, um, I, I, how do we say again, you asked about the number one skill it's building and nurturing those relationships. Yeah. I think part of that is, is being able to open the doors on the relationships too, yeah. that uh, sometimes hard to get to people. I mean, they're always kind and always, uh, open if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think part of this is also understanding if I was going to have a conversation with someone say like Steven Spielberg, I'd want to make sure that that's valuable for him too. That it's mm-hmm. not just a one-sided thing and mm. often when you can find how you can deliver value as well as receive it then it's weird how the universe opens up the opportunity for those those connections to happen
1: yeah for sure what is your favorite project that you've worked on so far
2: the next one ha, ha, ha. it's always the next one <laughs> after, right because we're always looking what will we do next mm-hmm. but, but i have to admit i just finished a really fun fun movie that i've i've thoroughly enjoyed it's called how to be a hitman 101 And I do play a hitman in it, and even though there is violence in it and so forth, I think the reason why I really liked it is because it made the hitman character that I played human. And you could see a little bit about why he does what he does and what aspects of his work and life he's not satisfied with and what he's longing for and his wants, his dreams, and his desires. And I think everybody, no matter what, is a human to some degree. So it really kind of made him real. And someone that we can empathize with, even though he's got, like, a nasty job. <laughs> so I, right. I, I thought that was just super fun to be part of.
1: Absolutely. Uh, do you prefer – I think I know the answer to this, but do you prefer to play good guys or bad guys?
2: <laughs> I get to do both, and I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting if we're being sincere. No bad guy really ever thinks he's a bad guy. Right, right right? Like even Darth Vader, if you think in Star Wars, he didn't think he was a bad guy. His idea was to, you know, to his son, he says, join me and together we shall rule the galaxy. His father and son will restore order where there's chaos and we will, you know, help all these people. So he kind of thought he was a, a good guy too. Mm-hmm. And so I think to some extent, um, I'm always playing a good guy. Sometimes my good guy does bad things to make things yeah. like happen. Right. <laughs> but, But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. But, yeah, it's true. Playing the really sinister guy, sometimes the baddie, that can be really fun.
1: Yeah. Do you prefer, in general, to play characters that are similar to you or very different from you in an effort to stretch your comfort zone?
2: Well, you know, I think in some capacity you always have to find the similarities. Yeah. Because that's what makes it real. So, like, I just played this bad guy, speaking of bad guys, in this show – called The Awakening, I did for um, Aaron Glanfield. Really Mm -hmm. great director, award-winning guy. I just got to give him a little plug there. It's a science fiction show. I played this character uh, named Alexander who's trying to take over sort of a, I guess you could call it a post-apocalyptic sort of earth. He wants to control it and gain all these magical emblems. And I don't know how much more I'm allowed to give away without giving too much of the story. But needless to say, I mean, I don't know that I'm really anything like that guy on the surface, but the more that I investigated it and, and looked at the character, I found a lot of things where we were similar. Yeah. And the, the reason why he wanted to gain all these things was, in fact, to protect his tribe, his, yeah. his group of people. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a noble desire to do that. And at the same time, um, again, I got to be careful how much I give away for spoilers. Right. There's powers that he's he's inherited that on the surface look pretty evil. But the yeah. blessings that come with them is he's actually pretty close to indestructible. So can you imagine if I could pass this on to other people to give us all this ability to be able to withstand pain and death and all these other things? Like That's a pretty good thing. If I can give that to all my friends, like, you know, somebody who's got a family member on a deathbed, if I could come along and make it so, no, nope, they're good now. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you put yourself kind of in his shoes and find how you would behave with those things, maybe, maybe it's not a bad guy you're playing after all. Right. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So you do your own stunts, of course. Have you ever been afraid of the stunt that you're about to do?
2: 100%. <laughs> I've even been afraid of it while it's been happening. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So we've got a couple minutes to our next break. What is the most difficult stunt you ever did?
2: Well, probably need a bit more time than a couple minutes to set this up. But um, the one that I almost died in was in a film called The Signal, which I did. I want to say we're way back in like 2001, mm-hmm. 2000 maybe maybe after but anyway so what happened is is I was in full military outfit and I had to jump off of this tall bridge into water it was about three stories and um, that part the jump was the easy part that wasn't the problem at all I'm happy to do a jump any day but when I got in the water with all the military gear on including the combat boots and the tactical vest and carrying a weapon and a backpack and all this it got wet and no kidding, and I'm not exaggerating, in the end, it weighed about 400 pounds. And my body weight is about 154 pounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to have my body weight immediately multiplied by at least three, maybe four, I, I just couldn't swim it. And so I had to lay on my back and get to the side. And when I got to the side, I was almost exhausted and and just like I literally almost drowned. But what was wow. funny is the director said to me, goes, oh, that was great. Good jump. Let's do it again. This time, can you swim back a little quicker? Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> No, so so in the end, um, you know, we improvised and we put a, a, a life jacket underneath and made a few things different. But that was hard. It was it was a big challenging stunt. But people wouldn't think of that. Everybody's thinking of like fire and glass yeah. and falls and motorbike spin ups. But nope, just simply swimming back was super hard. <laughs>
1: Okay. I sure get that. And we're going to come back after the break. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest is Douglas Vermeer. We're going to talk about producing films for a little while in the next segment and what that entails. You really have to have, I believe, a CEO project manager kind of approach to that we're going to discuss all of that when we come back. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's Briankwright.com. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush
0: Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles. If I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright.
1: And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My first special guest this week is Douglas Bermier. And we're talking about film, we're talking about acting and directing, and producing, and doing stunts. So with that in mind, Doug, I'd like to ask you, what is your current film project, and how did that come to you?
2: Wow, I've got a couple. Now, one of them, I'm not really allowed to say the name, um, but I can tell, that's the one that we were just about to talk about. We were on the break, and we talked talking a little bit about that. So I can tell you all about the movie. I just yeah. can't reveal the name. Ha, ha, ha. Right. But um, I've got a few that I'm doing. So this year, now, like, here's the deal. is Now that COVID is is complete, sort of, I guess mm-hmm. I want to call it that, right? Now that we're right. back to relatively normal, everybody who was producing movies before COVID that got put on hold is out there trying to make films. And as you can imagine, all the streaming services, because we all watched everything that we could you know, find on on the shows, all the streaming services are hungry for content right now. Right. So no kidding, 2022, which we just finished, I probably did like nine movies. Wow. Right? It was crazy. Now, I wasn't the lead in them all. But I had a lot of films where, you know, I was doing three or four lines, 10 lines, 15 lines, a couple that I did the lead in. And now this year started exactly the same way. So I'll give a couple shout outs to some cool ones that I'm doing. So I'm heading to, funny enough, Niagara Falls in April to do a show called The Lurker. And that movie is uh, I'm playing a cop in there. And that's Adam Jack, who's doing that film. I'm heading back to London to do another one called Big Cats, which is... um, kind of a found footage slash uh, thriller um, with... Um, i, I, I got to be careful. I don't give too much away. I don't want anybody to get in trouble. Um, with Chris Sanders directing that one and producing that one, um, I've got... Um, well, obviously, coming out how to be a hitman, like we talked about. There's still some more work that needs to be done on that. I've got an animated show called Monsters Incorporated or Monster Hunters Incorporated, is what it is. Sorry, mm-hmm. Monster Hunters Incorporated, where I'm the voice of Rufus Gideon Bennett, who is a vampire, werewolf hunter. Sorry, so many things that we're doing here, but yeah. I've, I've got like I've got tons of them that are are just coming up, which we're really excited. But however, I should mention if there's producers that are listening, hey, I'm always happy to look at projects. Yep. I've got uh, also a cowboy one I just remembered uh, later this year in Missouri called Blown Oak where I play a gunslinger named Morgan. Mm. So, yeah, all, all kinds of fun stuff. But it's just great because I'm working with some really awesome people, and it's thrilling because these guys are so talented, and I'm just so grateful that they've included me in, in what they're doing.
1: Absolutely. Do you prefer short films or feature films?
2: I don't really do shorts very often. It's a okay. rare thing. Um, and the reason why, quite frankly, is that shorts really don't have the commercial value. Uh, yeah. If someone's building something maybe for YouTube or something like that, then that's what they're going to do is maybe a short. But even then, filmmakers don't really build shorts as calling cards anymore just because right. the cost of doing a feature is so low now. Yeah. Uh, technology's there and the streaming services are looking for it. So everybody's mm-hmm. really doing features yeah. Um, or or episodic television style things. That's that's see. Really- yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I didn't mention there is also a TV series that I signed on to do. Starts in April. It's called Operation Majestic. I play Nick Taylor, and it's kind of an X Files type conspiracy kind of show. Oh wow. It's very cool and exciting, especially with all these uh, <laughs> UFO things that we're shooting down lately, right? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Right. So do these parts come to you because you've auditioned or because your agent has gotten something for you or are you with a talent agency?
2: I am. In fact, it's a little bit of everything. So as I mentioned, there is like relationships that are involved that we have to you mm-hmm. know, nurture. So sometimes I'm getting things because people have just met me. They know me and they think I'd be good for it. And I'm I'm grateful for that. Uh, but still, don't get me wrong, they still have you audition and you're still having to compete with others that they've also considered for the role. Yeah. And then I actually have four agents. So I've got one agent that actually, funny enough, specifically books me for personal appearances. They've got me lately talking on cruise ships about the movies that I'm involved in. Wow. And I also go to the fan expos and I sign autographs and meet people and learn about our movies and They also um, often book me for appearances when some of our films come out, film festivals and these kinds of things. So that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've got an agent that gets me jobs in North America, just exclusively is what they're doing. I've got somebody who also books internationally, because a lot of the film work I do is in places like London, UK. In fact, I just got back from doing a show about two weeks ago with Chris Sanders again called Bring Me a Skin for Dancing, and it was a scary movie. And Mm -hmm. we shot that in Leicester in the UK And then I also did a small project right on Pinewood Studios lot. Mm -hmm. Then I've got another agent that handles actually Asia. So I've done these in Singapore, the Philippines, Kuala Lumpur, Bali, Thailand, and mainland China. Wow. I've got some more coming up there too. So, yeah. So if you think about it, here's just an interesting thing for those listening. if Whatever your business is, um, you really do need to go international. Like our world is so small nowadays, especially – Ever since yeah. the internet, the world's been getting smaller, right? Right. And um, and you'd be surprised. Like everybody, I've heard people say, "Oh, it's so tough in my own backyard," and maybe the marketplace where you're at isn't very good or whatever. But you got to remember, if it's if it's not great where you are, you can always move. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not saying physically, you can even from home do business yeah. elsewhere, right? Right. So right. I do a lot of movies wherever you know wherever I'm needed, and and I love it. Yeah. yeah for
1: for aspiring actors, what advice would you give them?
2: Um, first of all, get as much training as you can, because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the reality is, is you've got to make yourself relevant in the marketplace. But unless you can actually do your job as an actor, nobody is really that interested in you. It's like if you think, you know, as a doctor, too, I mean, you can go tell people you want to be a doctor, you want to be a doctor. And then when somebody comes knocking on your door and says, can you please, you know, fix my broken leg? If you don't know how to do that, it doesn't matter how often you said you want to be a doctor. Right. You can- help that person who's, who's ready for your services. So yeah. I think training is one of the biggest things and no kidding, even though I've been acting since seven, I still even do training now. And I also read every book I can or magazine I can on acting skills and mm-hmm. producing, stuff like that. And one of the things that's really beneficial is there's also a lot of great training and podcasts and things on YouTube or elsewhere where you can get a lot of really great insights and advice that make yep. you relevant in the marketplace today.
1: Absolutely. So tell us something about the business side of this industry that we might not know.
2: Um, Well, I I think obviously everybody knows how competitive it is, right? Mm -hmm. So we understand that part. But I think the part that many people forget when it comes to film, and maybe even just based on what I just said, it would be very easy to say that it's all about talent. But the reality is it is show business, And Mm -hmm. so you need to run it like a business, which means that you need a marketing department and you need to understand how you know what products are selling and you need to make yourself valuable so that you're an asset to whatever productions that you get involved in. And I I think this is something that um, has really been beneficial for me over the last couple of years is especially as I'm acting to be willing to use all my resources to also help those guys sell uh, the films and put bumps in chairs, right? Like whether it's media interviews or my connections or network or whatever to Mm -hmm. get that the, the projects noticed. So right. anything you can bring to the table makes you valuable to those people. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that that's a really big thing, right? Like yeah. it's a matter of, of talent. The other thing that I, I think that I learned, especially when I produced my own films, the personal development documentaries as an actor, if you're not acting, then you ought to make a movie. Yeah. Right? And that's the same thing. When I was a speaker, if no one was hiring me to speak, then I, I should put on my own event and I think too often actors right now think that, oh, I've got an agent. He'll take care of things and uh, he'll let me know when I'm needed or to go an audition. But the reality is, is he's got how many other clients? Mm-hmm. And so if you're not being given opportunities, you need to create opportunities.
1: Yeah, that is so awesome. I love that advice. Let's talk about producing films now. When you produce a film, you need to have a CEO approach to it, Right
2: you definitely do. In fact, everything is about delegating. You can't do it all, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, what goes into producing a film? What do the moving parts look like? There's there's casting and there's the script and there's finding locations and there's raising money and all things. What tell us more about that?
2: Well, well again, you're not doing all that stuff. You're hiring people who can do that stuff. Like I've done very little casting myself. I mean, there's people that for my films I'll look at, like the personal development ones, obviously I selected those people that were friends and they were well known enough to include. But some of the other films that I've done, uh, I have ideas of what I'd like but I generally delegate that directly to a casting director yeah. because that's their job and they're good. They, they know mm-hmm. what people can do in front of camera and they know how to test people and audition them. So I, I often leave that to them. And then they also already have an existing database or, or pool from which they can pull and mm-hmm. and the same thing is 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 true with all the other roles that are there whether it's locations whatever i mean people keep scrapbooks of locations that fit exactly the descriptions you want and they're also very creative on how you can get multiple locations out of one space mm-hmm. so that you know you can just flip the camera the other way like when we were filming the opus um we used uh this area that had it was kind of like an old-fashioned barber shop slash pool hall and we shot the scene of the barbershop there and also where the character Vincenzo returns his violin so it's like we just turn the camera the other way and with with film every setup costs money so if i can just turn the camera the other way and, and not move the crew Man, I just saved a bundle of money. So right. you've, got to, you've got to find smart people who understand that. It's kind of like that saying that Steve Jobs once said. He said, we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. So right. I go and I, I look for, as a producer, I'm really the conductor of an orchestra. I'm not looking to play all the instruments. I'm looking to find the people who play their instruments the best. And, and again, back to that analogy of the opus, even though it's got me listed as the director on that film, I think, quite frankly, the the thing that saved my my bacon on that one is I got the camera guy who was in charge of Brokeback Mountain, Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights, Good Luck Chuck, and a bunch of other shows. Yeah. Kind of let him tell me what he thought was great, and if I had any suggestions to add, I'd just share what I wanted, and I'd let him come up with it. And in the end, the film looked so much better than had I tried to do it on my own, right? Yeah you just can't do it all. And I think that that's the problem that many people struggle with, with creating any kind of success is they yeah. feel if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And that's totally right. If yeah. it's meant to be, it's meant to get a proper team, get good advice, put people helping where they need to be. And don't be afraid to invest a little bit of money to, to make something work really well. Like yeah. that's the problem is too many people, I think try to hold all those uh, tools and assets for themselves. Cause they think they're saving a little bit, but in yeah. the end they, They produce something so far substandard that nobody really cares, right? Yeah,
1: you're right. We've got uh, maybe a minute and a half or so to our final break. When you were getting ready to produce your first movie, did you have a mentor that you observed or learned from? How did you know you were ready?
2: Well, here's the deal. I don't know if you ever feel you're ready, especially on your first tryout. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I was told Steven Spielberg said this, so I've never found the source. But he said movies are never finished. They're only abandoned. Because the reality is is perfection is a myth. And not just for movies, but everything. Perfection is a myth. And so I think when I was getting ready to do my first movie, I had taken film school. I'd been on all kinds of movie sets. Um, I'd done this for my whole life, basically. And um, I still didn't feel ready. And so I just had to make a decision that I had enough in place that I could move on to the next step. And I just kept adding things to the next step. And, of course, along the way, you learn what's lacking. You try your best to fill it, but even if you can't fill it, you find a creative way to get around that. Yep. And that's really what success and movie making is about is how do you creatively solve problems?
1: Exactly. We are coming up against our final break. I can't believe how quickly this is going. This is so much fun.
2: And it's fun.
1: it's nice to talk about something a little bit different this week. So I'm always happy and grateful for you to be here. I'm always happily grateful for all of you still listening. We got one more segment to go. Down the stretch we come when we come back. This is Success Profiles Radio.
0: is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio.
1: If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush
3: Ever since fireworks were invented in 17th century China, people around the world have been enjoying the thunder fuel and crick crackle of fireworks displays. Believe it or not, being a firework designer usually requires a master's degree or Ph.D. in chemistry. It's the heated reaction of chemicals within the fireworks that create the variety of dazzling colors we experience every 4th of July. For example, copper compounds turn blue, strontium compounds give off a crimson hue, and sodium blazes a bright yellow. When I took chemistry, I felt you could never trust atoms. Because they make up everything. What's the name for the sound fireworks make when they shoot off from the ground? Piff Path.
0: It's Words You never heard.
3: I'm Carolyn Davidson and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas.
1: And we're back. This is success profiles radio. My very special guest this week is Douglas Vermeer. And we're talking about filmmaking and acting and stunts and producing movies. It's a great time. It's a nice departure from what we usually do. And there are some success and personal development principles that go into all of this. And we'll maybe weave a little bit of that here in the final segment throughout, but I do want to ask, I mean, you've produced personal development films mainstream action, horror, and thriller films? How does the type of film impact your approach to making that film?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And by the way, I'll just tell your listeners and you something funny. Even as we're here just now, my phone just buzzed, and I just got a new script for another film I'm going to do with Christopher Gatrost. He's a really cool dude. I did a movie with him in uh, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's asked me to play a king in a fantasy show called SideQuest. So very oh, wow. cool. So excited about that. Yeah, so this is how it happens, right?
1: Just yeah.
2: out. But about this thing about different genres, it's interesting because when I've been doing like the personal development films as we talked about, um I often have a specific audience in mind that I'm building that for, right? Like when we did How Thoughts Become Things or the Gratitude Experiment. Uh, and and so I was interviewing a lot of top personal development leaders like we had guys like Bob Proctor and John Demartini and Marie Diamond and all of these people. And so I would often go on a social media and I'd ask the audience, what do you want to learn from these guys? Or I'd ask questions. Sometimes they'd even be a bit disguised. So people wouldn't really know what I'm, you know, like what I'm building, but they'd know what I'm asking so that I could then create a project that I knew people were going to be interested in after. So i kind of reverse engineer it. Right. So that way yeah. I knew I was going to have a, a hit that people were interested in. And then I should also mention that as I was doing those interviews, I knew that it was also going to be a book. So mm-hmm. First movie, The Opus, we did 26 languages worldwide with Random House. So mm. I kind of built that with that in mind that I, I need a book and a movie by the time this is done, right? Yeah. And so um, it was just a different approach. But if I'm doing, say, something like uh, a horror movie or an action movie, the reality is there's, there's certain kind of formulas that people expect. If mm-hmm. you don't pick certain boxes, they get upset. Yeah. And as we're talking about the break, you know, the reality is, is you always hear people say, oh, Hollywood's not that original. They never come up with original stories. But the reality is, as we do, um, you guys just don't want to watch them. So yeah. we come up with something that's a little bit unique or different. It doesn't really attract a big audience. People mm-hmm. keep returning for the things that they like and they expect. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is, you know, people really want stories kind of like that they're familiar with that yeah. feel, you know, we, we want to 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 follow the hero's journey. We want to go through the same kind of activities. Now, that's not to say you can't be original with those kind of stories. You can't. Of course. Of course. And, and it's important that you are. But they still sort of foundationally or fundamentally have the same feel. Yeah. And, and you just, you can't really bend that formula too far. So there's there's a lot of things that we consider when we're looking at that. Um, but, like, I mean, you, you can very rarely have an action movie without a gunfight, right? Like, it's just right. expected. it. Right, or a car, just right. expected, and we also know that in like a whodunit, well, we have to have for sure a murder, and then mm-hmm. there needs to be a group of suspects. If there's not a group right. of suspects, well, it's not really much of a whodunit anymore, right? Right. And, and when you got, when you have a right?
1: super, yeah, when you have a superhero movie, you expect a big conflict with the villain at the end of the movie.
2: There has to be a big fight at the end, right? Yeah. And uh, and these are just things that are there. So I mean, when we're building those genres, we're just looking like a building a film in those genres. We're looking at how can we. Fulfill the expectations of the audience, but do it in such a way that it's still like unique and engaging and suspenseful and exciting and thrilling, and maybe even a new kind of hero that you know still fits in that kind of genre, but it's maybe not quite what you've seen before. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, yeah, so it, it, it's challenging. It takes a lot of brain power to sometimes figure these out, and sometimes mm-hmm. you get it, and sometimes it misses.
1: Exactly. So we don't get
2: it every time, right. We don't get it every time. I wish we could. <laughs>
1: Right. So when you're producing a film, how do you raise money for it? Because that's a huge deal. I mean, these movies don't get made for free.
2: Yeah. Well, and and the other thing, too, is when you're creating movies, often the investors have their opinions, too. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of having to sell this movie a few times, meaning that the first time you sell it is when you're going to get people who are going to support you and help you with it. Second time you're going to sell is when you're trying to raise the money for it. Next time you sell it is when you're trying to get the actors and uh, the team to build it the next time you're selling is when you're giving it to the public. So, I mean, we're constantly trying to sell the movie, yeah. and I think that that's, a, that's a big thing. Now, one of the big deals that I've learned about raising money for movies is I try and actually complete it backwards. So, yeah. in other words, I make sure I have an audience already who wants this thing, that I've got distributors that are willing to take it and sometimes mm-hmm. even give us a guarantee in advance, mm-hmm. and uh, and that we will have people there. Like, even with How to Be a Hitman 101, we've got um, – people who are already ready to support the merchandising on it. Now, yeah. again, this is for the investors. I'm not the sole producer on it, but, you know, they've done the deals already for distribution. They've done the deals for, um, you know, theatrical releases and streaming services and multiple languages and all of these things before they go and ask the investors for money. And I should mention that the other thing that's great about film is that there's a lot of government incentives and tax incentives. Oh, Yes. Yeah. So, for example, one of my friends in the UK, he's doing this movie coming up. I'll tell you the title. I can't say much more other than that. It's called Paradox, and it's a science fiction just loosely on this idea of some British paratroopers that are going to jump in to attack this Nazi weapon. But they get shot on their way there by some kind of weird super weapon, and they find themselves in the future. And in this future, the Nazis have won the war. So they've got to figure out how to get back to the past. But what they've done in England here is they've got a government incentive that basically people that get involved to participate in this pretty much have a, a, a massive rebate immediately. Mm. And, and he's also got guaranteed distributors that will pick it up immediately
0: yeah. because Absolutely. of his, his
2: track record, right? So having these things in place just make it so much easier. And I will say that, like, no kidding, right now is the best time, I think, to invest in film because the streaming services are pretty much buying so much that's coming through because they need to get it out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we had a film that I was involved in. Again, I wasn't the producer behind it, but um, it was a five or $500,000 movie is what he made it for, $500,000. Mm. And immediately they were able to pay back $5 million to everyone. Wow. So they just immediately multiply that, that money insanely. And that's so awesome. there's a lot of opportunities like that. So if there are people that are out there that are looking to get involved in that kind of stuff, feel free to reach out to me. I know a lot of people who've got deals already in place. In fact, there's another lady that I know that basically um, she has finished her film. They're ready to go. They just need a post-production cost, like to edit it. So -hmm. they're looking for a very small amount of money, but they've already got guarantees from people ready to buy it. So she's looking for about $100,000 total. But she's already able to pay back like if even if she did it as a loan, she's already able to pay them back like three hundred and fifty thousand for their hundred thousand dollar loan. And sometimes the banks will even loan these guys on this, but not always because it's not considered an asset the same as other businesses or real estate. Yeah. How do you
1: decide? I was going to say, how how do you decide whether to structure a financing deal as debt or is equity?
2: Um, Well, for film, it really depends. And and to be honest, that's quite a a lengthy discussion. I think the way that I kind of look at it, like with equity, people own points in the movie. So if you think of a movie like Jaws, it was made in 1975. It still shows up on TV today. Like you could flip the channels and and chances are pretty good. You're going to see Jaws on sometime this month somewhere. Right. So still making money years and years and years later. So if you're giving an equity deal, that means that that person is making cash. Ever since 1975, right? In fact, I I remember reading somewhere about um, how Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars, his estate is still making millions and millions every year just on the few points that he got on the first Star Wars that he was involved in,
1: right? Wow, yeah. So
2: so that's kind of like the equity deal. But I think nowadays, a lot of times, film producers, they know that this is a big stretch, that they're going to make tons and tons of money over – the years on merchandising and all these things and so they want to do a debt deal where they're like just loan us the money we'll pay you back this and then you're Mm -hmm. out so sometimes like you know i mean there's both deals that are available i mean yeah it it just depends the projects you're talking to but Mm -hmm. i like to get involved in the equity part if i can yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah I mean, we've got, we've got so much right now. Like I said, people are just printing money in this industry. It's crazy. You got everybody else talking about things like Bitcoin and Forex and yeah. white labeling and all these things. But, you know, just putting on my passive income coach hat for a minute. I think film is one of the best investments right now. Um, mm-hmm. But will it stay that way forever? I don't know. Right. Like this yeah. is the thing. Things shift. So you need to be kind of dialing in while things are, are, are you know, really well. But right now it's the day for film and I can see it being this way for the next couple of years for sure. During COVID, everybody at home built their home theater systems like they've never had them before. Right. So it's just, it's absolutely crazy.
1: Yeah. So we've got about four minutes to the end. How, as you survey the whole film landscape, how do you identify a good opportunity?
2: Um. I, I think, again, you have to identify what a good opportunity looks like to you. For every person, a good opportunity could be something different. Uh, if it's financial, uh, some people are saying, well, I need my money back quick. Other people saying, I, I need my money back long term. I want something to pay us forever. Other people, they actually just want to, you know, decrease their tax uh, bill. So they're looking to hide some money somewhere for a longer term. I mean, it just depends what you look for. And um And that's what will dictate a good opportunity for me as an actor. What I'm looking for is just a character that I I can relate to, someone that I can bring to life in such a way that I feel proud of that work at the end. That's what I'm looking for.
1: Perfect. We've got about two minutes until the end. So here's the question I typically ask everyone. Who inspires and motivates you?
2: Wow. Um, I think. That's, that's a really tough question because I've got a lot of people in my life that inspire and motivate me. In fact, I try to surround myself with the most inspiring people that I can, mm-hmm. and I think that that's, that's maybe a blessing. So I don't just look for one, and I don't put the weight of my inspiration on one person because everybody's human. So if I put all my weight saying, I hope I'm inspired by that person, then they make a mistake and, mm-hmm. and create some kind of something tragic that it doesn't knock the wind out of my sails. So I'm consistently looking for inspiring people. And I, I hope in the same token that I am that to others as well. So yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I love that. So as uh, we begin to wrap up, how can we find you? How can we try with you and vibe with you?
2: Um, you know what? Anytime you type in Douglas Vermeer on social media, you're going to bump into me. We're on everything from Instagram to TikTok to you name it. We do post behind the scenes videos of all the film stuff that we're doing and all of this. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And, um, you know, I'm on all all the platforms. And then also my website is douglasvermeeran.com. So you can find me pretty much anywhere.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Doug, for being here. I am so fired up that we got to have a great conversation once again. I wish you the very best.
2: Thank you. It's been good being with you, Brian. And I wish you the best with your show. You're always awesome.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Join us every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, where I interview another world-class achiever, learn what they did, what they overcame, and the lessons we can learn along the way. Until next week, take care, everyone. Have a fantastic week. I wish you well. And join us next week. Episode 500 is coming up really soon. Don't miss it.